just a few announcements I'd like to make to you. First, I just want to welcome you. If you're a guest here with us today, we're certainly glad that you're here. Uh, you can fill out a communication card that's in the pew rack there in front of you and uh, take that back to the, the welcome desk, uh, our connection desk back there in the foyer after the service, and we'd love to, to meet you and get to know you. The next thing that I'd like to bring to your attention is that we have Trunk or Treat coming up in how many weeks? One week. Throw that next slide up there, Isaac. Trunk or treat? Now, you may ask yourself, nope, sorry. Let that go, because this is what I want to, no, play that again. Go back to that. That's what I want to talk about first. Operation Christmas Child. This is our website, okay, westgatechurch.com. And if you go to it and scroll below the picture, you'll see right there where you can build a box online, okay? Now, if you... If you forget how to get there, just go to the home page and start scrolling down. You'll be able to click right there on Get Started, and it'll take you where you can build a box, okay? Now, if you haven't done that and want to, please do. I think we've got 11 out of 50 toward our online, online box goal, and we still have boxes out here in the foyer. If you want to pack one physically, pick one of those up after the service and do that. Okay, now we'll continue on to Trunk or Treat. How many of you 
know what trunk or treat is. You, you've decorated a trunk before and you've participated in a trunk or treat, okay? See, many of you don't have a concept of what it's about, okay? And I just want you to know it's so easy and it's so much fun. You, you decorate a trunk. If you have any interest in doing this, what we do need you to do is we need you to contact Jana and let her know that you want to be a part of decorating a trunk and participating in that. All right, because we have a limited number of spaces that we're putting the vehicles in. All right, so please contact her and let her know. The other part about Fall Festival is that normally Janet, by this point, is swimming in candy. Well, she's treading, she's not even beginning to tread water, it's just barely up to her knees. So we need more candy. We need lots more candy to hand out to the kids and all the community that's going to be coming next week. So be sure to stop by a store and pick up a bag of candy and bring it with you next week. We'd greatly appreciate it. And on Sunday morning, if you'd please bring it, that'd be wonderful. The next thing I want to say about Trunk or Treat is that if you have not, have, if you don't want to participate in doing a trunk, but you still want to volunteer, we have things that you can do. And back there in the foyer, we have a, uh, a sign-up list of different things that you can participate in, so be sure to stop back by there after the service. Now, we're continuing on with the next thing, Isaac. Wow in the Woodlands, our women of Westgate. That's going to happen on November the 10th, and if you'd like to participate that, be sure to, to get involved and sign up for that. The next thing is what is happening tonight? Anybody? Make a difference. We're knocking on doors, okay? Knocking on doors. Be sure to be here tonight and participate in this wonderful event. Um, we've heard many testimonies about how it's been so impactful to not only the people on the other side of the door, but for us as well. And I want you to make a note of it. Be sure to be back here tonight. You can stay in here. If you can't get around and walk very well, you can stay in here in the worship center and, and be a part of the prayer team that's praying for the requests that are coming in. Or you can go out and knock on doors with us. But as we do this, I want you to listen to one more testimony um, from the last time that we did this. So take your attention to the screen. On Make a Difference Sunday, I had the opportunity to meet a young man. Uh, he uh, was a very cordial young man and shared with me that he was of the Muslim faith, but was willing to take a Bible and was very open to uh, possibly visiting Westgate. He didn't have any specific prayer requests while we were there at the door, but I had gotten three or four houses down from him, and all of a sudden I hear somebody calling, uh, hey, sir, hey, sir. And uh, it was this young man. And so I went back and talked to him. He said, I do have a specific prayer request. He says, I need a job. He said, I'm a chemical engineer. I graduated from Lamar. I had worked at Motiva for a while, but had to leave uh, that position. And I uh, would like for you to pray for me uh, that I could find uh, a, a chemical engineering position. And I said, well, uh, I know some, some contacts that I could reach out to, but we'll definitely uh, be more than happy to pray for you. And so pray for this young man that he will uh, find a job. And it was a great Sunday reaching out to our neighbors on Make a Difference Sunday. One gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast
chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 after they had Peter and John stand before him before them this is the the Sanhedrin the Pharisees they began to question them by what power and what name have you done this see they'd healed someone he'd had uh, his uh, health brought back to him 
And then Peter, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers of the peoples and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. There's only one. And his name is powerful. His name is life. And his name is Jesus. Amen? I want to introduce a new song to you called Jesus Your Name. I'm really growing to love this song, and I hope that you do too. This is, uh, it's got some great words to it, great music, and I'm excited about it. So listen carefully, and just join us as you, as you feel like you can. Jesus, your name I 
Awake my heart, God, I need you now. I can drown alone here in my doubt. Prone to wander from your side. I'm getting tired of tired eyes. God, I'm coming here for you. For you, cause the grace of Jesus is always wider, it's growing on and on and always higher, and the grace of Jesus in lights of fire, could you light up fire deep down and shame let forgiveness heal my soul seal my heart and don't let it go god i'm running back to you
thank you for your love for us and you knew what you needed to do to, to make a way for us and you accomplished it thank you may our hearts be tuned now to what you're calling us to do and how you want to mold us and make us into what you want us to be May we listen carefully, and may we respond in complete obedience. You're the Savior of the world, the one that has provided us eternal life, and may we be completely obedient to you here in this moment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Gotta tell you, I have been going to church for 63 years. I saw something today I've never seen before. What was it? There were more men in the choir than women. In six decades of church attendance, I have never, ever, ever seen that before. I thought that was great. And I'm kind of hoping maybe we can get a little um, competition going for this afternoon to see if we have more men or women here uh, this afternoon. Hey, I need uh, someone to, from each section, if you would come up here with me on the stage, no counterfeit money this week, but I, I need for you to have a camera and just step up here on the stage, nothing tricky. You're just gonna take one picture of your section, okay? So one person from this section, this section, this section, this section, just come up here. Make sure you have a good shot of your section. And uh, the reason is, uh, what I want to do is we need to get an accurate count of how many people are going to be here tonight so that we can have, I, no, I'm, I, I'm not joking with you, and, I, and I'm not trying to shame anybody. We need an accurate count to make sure that we have enough um, meals. Thus far, we have fewer than half that came last time, which is one of the great occupational hazards of church life. Oh, we've already done that. When do we ever run out of finishing the job of sharing our faith with other people. So just to make sure that we have an accurate head count of who's going to be here tonight, if you're going to be here tonight, would you stand up? And I want you all to take a picture of your section, count the number of people in your section, and then if you would text that to me. So we have an accurate count of who's going to be here. This means to be here for prayer as well as going out into the streets, okay? Got that? Everybody got, got their picture? Okay, good. Now y'all, stay up here for just a second. Those of you that are not going out, would you stand up so we can get your picture? <laughs> We're going to take your picture and put it down at the post office, all right? So, good. Just make sure I get the number so we have enough of those uh, meals here. You know, and I do want to encourage you to be here. We're going to be out for just uh, an hour. We're going to go door to door. We're going to let people know that we care. I, I tell you what, you guys are starting something. Uh, I had lunch with a group of pastors this last week. One of the pastors uh, told me that he lived pretty close to the church. I said, Really? I said, well, uh, this Sunday night, we'll probably be stopping by your house. And he said, you already have. You did that last time you came out. And so, and, and then we, were, uh, we stopped by when another church was having a small group. And they're looking at this and they're saying, hey, that's a pretty good idea 
something biblical about going out and telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. So uh, by the end of the service, I hope all of us will be standing to say, yes, I will be here to be a part of this. Just an hour, you gotta, you're going to get a bag, head out the door, come back, we'll have a meal together, and we'll share testimonies of what God did uh, in the midst. You know, we, we sang just a minute ago, God, would you light a fire deep down in my soul? Did we really mean that? Do we really want God to light a fire deep down in our soul so that it really resonates in our lives? And I, I pray that we do. I pray that that was certainly something that we all aspire uh, to do. Well, this morning as we continue this very relevant uh, teaching uh, from Scripture, the, the Scripture is relevant, whether or not I will be relevant is questionable, but very relevant about life issues that we address. The terrible tongue, James will talk about in his book, this epistle, this letter that was written to Christians in the first century, one of the first books, if not the first book ever written in the New Testament. And today he talks about the terrible tongue. The tongue is indeed a terrible thing. Joan of Aberdeen, South Dakota, wrote about the experience of riding home late at night with her husband, and a car pulled up beside them and started honking and yelling at them. You can only imagine how unsettling that was, but then the car followed them home. James chapter 3, verses 1 and following. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, stricter, greater, uh, with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his entire body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. For every, uh, for every kind of beast and bird, and reptile, sea creature, it can all be tamed, as been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Oh, my brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Lord, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. We thank you for your word that speaks to us so specifically. We're reminded that James is writing to very obvious problems. And Lord, it doesn't take a lot to understand that these problems are even so significant today. Universal problems of what we do with the tongue. So I pray that you would guide us. Lord, that your word would become alive and active in each one of us, and it would go to the very depths of who we are and light of fire deep down inside. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, the terrible tongue. The tongue is terribly accurate. We're going to talk about several terribles of the tongue this morning. The first is the tongue is terribly accurate. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, James is referencing back, and though it's not in the book of James, no doubt James was looking back over the life of his older brother Jesus, remembered so many times the way that he had taught, and he references this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Now, I said it references. He doesn't reference it. I know he's referencing in his mind as he thinks about what he is writing about the tongue. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. That's what Jesus said. So James is reminding us that the tongue is terribly accurate. It reveals what is inside. A carload of nuns ran out of gas. 
not far from a gas station. They didn't have a gas can, didn't really know what they would do. And as they looked out the window, they saw a collection of beer bottles. There were two or three. And so they decided, well, that will be enough for us to get enough gas in our car to get to the gas station. So they filled up the beer bottles with gasoline, came back to the car, and they began to pour the beer bottles into the gas tank. And a guy drove back and said, sister, you have a lot of faith. Well, it wasn't the beer in the bottle that got the car going. It was that it revealed what was inside of the bottle, and that was gas. That is this with any container. When you pour something out of a container that may not be marked, it begins to reveal what is inside. And James is saying our words do the exact same thing. They reveal what is inside of us. This two-and-a-half-ounce set of muscles typically is about three inches long, Yours may be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, but it is much like our fingerprints. And that I didn't know this until studying this. No two tongues are exactly alike. So, like our fingerprints, our tongue reveals who we are. And it's not just our words. It's the communication that we use. Conversations, emails, text letters, and even the words withheld. Sometimes the words that are not spoken are the most hurtful of all. Some of us long to hear that significant person in our life, maybe currently or in the past, to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I appreciate you. You matter to me. Thank you. Sometimes those words impact us even more than the words left unsaid. The tongue is terribly accurate as it reveals what is inside of each of us. The tongue is also terribly powerful. Look at these verses with me again in, John, in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. First of all, I want to say that James is not trying to discourage people from teaching. He is trying to highlight the great influence that a teacher has. But before we go any further, I want to recognize the teachers that we have in our church. If, if you teach in any capacity and have done so in the last five years in our church, I mean any capacity at all, if you're a teacher, over the last five years at Westgate, would you stand up? We want to say thanks for you being a teacher in our church. Thank you. And then a number of you said, well, you know, I'm not in the cycle right now, but I've taught in the past. So if you have taught at any time in Westgate, and that would be the same number that stood up just now, but if you've ever taught at Westgate, it doesn't mean you taught well. Just if you've ever taught, hey, believe me, I'm still trying to get the well part. Stand up if you have ever taught here at Westgate. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for what you are doing and have doing. See what James says, not many of you should be teachers. He's not saying don't do it. He's saying do it for the right reason. Because when we go back and look at the situation in which he's writing, early church, there are a lot of people that were vying for the prestige of being a teacher rabbis in the Jewish culture were called the great one long before Wayne Gretzky. They were treated with more respect than parents. So a number of people thought, well, you know, this is the way to climb the ladder in the church is I want to be a teacher and then I will get a lot of recognition. It's funny for me going out into the community uh, when people recognize I'm the pastor or they haven't recognized I'm a pastor, and the difference that makes. One of my favorite stories is when we were doing a hospital visit, Jeff and I were doing a hospital visit together. Someone had asked us to go and see part of their extended family. So we walked into the room, and I heard from the other side of the room, you know Jeff's a lot taller than me, walk into the room, and I heard a person on the other side of the room say to the patient in the bed, I don't know who the little one is, but the big guy thinks a minister at Westgate. So I'm the little one, okay? <laughs> but whenever they discover the little one is a pastor, the relationship 
kind of changes. You know, I think, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting time at some point in the future when I'm no longer a pastor, how people respond to me. Because when you are a pastor, people respond to you in a different way. It's kind of like there, there's some kind of connection that, that makes them feel more important. Believe me, there's not. We're just people like everybody else. And so what James is saying here is a lot of people are trying to get that little extra edge of being a teacher. We've read about this in Scripture. Paul referenced it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. He said some wanted the title and they wanted the attention, and that was a big problem. Remember in Philippians 1, 17, that some of them were preaching out of selfish ambition. The only reason they were preaching is what it would bring uh, to them. In this particular reading this week, uh, we've looked at Titus, and now we're in 1 Timothy. In Titus 1, 11. It talked about the entire, entire households being ruined. Those are the exact words. Entire households being ruined by bad teachers. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, which is today's reading, commands those who are false teachers to quit teaching false doctrine any longer. See, it's a problem. It was going on, and, and so James was saying, don't aspire to be a teacher unless God has put you in that position because teachers have great influence. What you say can carry a lot of impact in somebody's life. A hundred years ago, Vladimir Lenin said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. And here we are a century later still dealing with Marxist ideology. So true. And he said, you will be judged with greater strictness. To say, be careful because what you have to say carries a lot of weight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 was a verse that we referenced uh, a couple weeks ago when we were the first part of James talking about favoritism, and it said we will all be judged, all of us. But you know something that's really interesting is when you're a teacher, you'll be judged with greater strictness, it says, meaning that God will hold us who teach Scripture greater accountability. I'm not looking forward to that experience, honestly. You know, we're all standing in the judgment. We're all lined up together. Hey, hey, Raymond, over here, back room. And talking about the issues in which we had erred as a teacher. It says, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Who is he thinking about? Yeah, his older brother. Talking about the tongue being terribly powerful. And he says, the perfect man is able to bridle his whole body. He saw that. He witnessed Jesus bridle his entire body through the power of God. And then he starts rolling out some analogies. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we can guide their whole bodies as well. Great picture. We've all ridden horses. We, we know that here, here's this half-ton animal, and you can put a child in a saddle on this big animal and with a, with a bridle and reins can literally guide this enormous animal, strong animal. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Yesterday was a crazy day in sports, wasn't it? So as we think back on what happened yesterday, maybe it can help us understand these analogies that James is giving talking about a, a ship. You know, an aircraft, you know, a lot of you watched football yesterday, so just to give some perspective, an aircraft carrier is roughly three football fields in length. Or if you stayed up late last night, an aircraft carrier is roughly three times as long as Jeremy Pena's 18th inning home run. Aircraft carrier, basically three plus football fields long, and then it stands about 25 stories tall. And then if you were to go width to width, at the longest point, it would be about 25 stories wide. An enormous ship. And how big are the rudders on that? They do have two rudders. How big are the rudders? Enormous. This is a, this is a boat that is a small city, houses between four and 5,000 personnel. And this ship is guided by two rudders that are 29 by 22. Now we say, how big is that? Go back to football yesterday or today. You look at a goalpost and the span that the, the kicker is trying to get it through, just that open area there, that's about the size of the rudder for an aircraft carrier. And James is saying, 
This is enormous ship is guided by a very small rudder and compares our tongue to the exact same. The power of the tongue is incredible, but nothing compares to the Word of God. Do you remember Genesis 1-1? What did God do? God spoke everything into existence. So yes, our tongue is powerful. We shouldn't take that lightly, but never forget that the Word of God is more powerful than anything we can imagine. So we see the tongue is terribly accurate. We see it's terribly powerful, and you've had experiences in your life where you know how powerful what you say can be. We've seen whole countries, the world changed. We, we think back to World War II. One man used his mouth to incite global destruction. And we think of people like Winston Churchill that used his mouth to inspire people to stand up against the atrocities. The tongue is terribly dangerous. That's what James says in verses 5 through 6. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Isn't that funny? How small our tongue is. Two and a half ounces. Three inches long. But boy, it can talk about some great things. We can boast of things. It's kind of like us old men that were once athletes. We get better with each passing year. We can talk about things in such grandeur. The tongue is terribly dangerous. Boast of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Comparing the tongue to one of those little lighters. You know, it comes out of your mouth and click, it sparks, it starts a fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of light of life, and it's set on fire by hell. You know, the world's toughest tongue twister, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is this. I'm going to say it very slowly because it's the toughest in the world. The sixth sick sheik's sixth sheep's sick. Now say that fast. Won't even try. But you know, we don't need a tongue twister to get things tangled up in our mouth. We can do that effortlessly, and that's what James is talking about, the, the enormity of the danger of the tongue. I, I can't help but wonder the words that were echoing in James' mind of what he had said to and about his older brother when he didn't believe in him. And he wondered about all the destructive things that he had said with his tongue. Fire is started by a smoldering fire. I grew up in Arizona, and we had lots of uh, fires. I remember the times when mountain rains, the Huachuca Mountains, that were just seven miles from where we lived, and we would have fires there. And, you know, sometimes they wouldn't be completely horrible. And I remember one, it just completely devastated the whole mountain range. Oftentimes, started by a smoldering campfire. People left, not when it was blazing, but they just thought it was, it was out. Words are kind of like that, aren't they? It may not be that we've said something really seems bad, just kind of smolders and turns into something bad. How many times fires, whole forests have been burned down by simply a, a discarded cigarette butt. Done with a cigarette, nothing really left there, and it burns for miles and miles and miles. And James is saying, that's the power of the tongue. I remember when I was a kid, five years old, and uh, I, I, had, I had intelligent issues even back then. I, I was out in the backyard on a fall uh, afternoon moving towards uh, winter when all the grass was brown. And I had this metal fire truck. Now, you know, you play with metal fire trucks and you talk about putting fires out. I guess somehow I thought I was going to use a metal truck to put out a fire. And so I'm trying to light the fire truck with these wooden stick matches that uh, we had in our house. Five years old. I was out there, you know, yeah, I'm going to catch a metal truck on fire with a match. 
Well, I would light that match, and I'd put it on the fire truck, and it wouldn't, you know, ignite, so I'd set it down on the brown grass, and then I'd light another one, and it wouldn't ignite, and so I'd set it down on the brown grass, and before I know it, I knew exactly what James was talking about. We had a raging fire in our backyard, and I, I did what only a five-year-old would do. I ran out of my house screaming to my mom, and then she ran out of the house screaming at me. She hosed it all down, saved the neighborhood from being burned down, and she came back inside. I don't know why she was carrying that belt, but she came back inside. <laughs> and, and I was standing there, and I said, next time I will listen to Smokey the Bear. That's the power of fire. We understand that. But do we see the correlation of the power of the tongue to do the same thing? has such power to destroy. Maybe that's why the tongue is caged behind a set of lips and two rows of teeth. So James wants us to know that the tongue is terribly accurate. It's ter terribly powerful. It's terribly dangerous. So is there any good news today? The tongue is terribly pliable. Look at verses 7 through 12. It says, for every kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature, they can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Don't miss that statement. James is not trying to paint us into a corner of discouragement to say you'll always be an absolute failure. He's just saying you'll never tame the tongue by your own human strength. Again, who's he thinking about? His older brother. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. He doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't want us to start thinking, well, you know, if I just try a little bit harder, if I'm a little bit more guarded, he's trying to paint a picture to say, you will never be able to get that thing under control by yourself. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. What a picture there. You know, for us to be able to worship or celebrate or praise God in one moment and then be able to curse, and that doesn't mean that you use profanity, but just means you degrade somebody else. We, we've all done that. And when we degrade someone else, we're degrading a creation of God. It'd be like coming over to my house for dinner, and, and you say, man, I, I really love you because you're the pastor, you know, but I don't really care much for your wife. Well, you're probably not going to eat in my house. See, it's the same thing as we're saying, well, you know, these people are okay, but these people aren't, but they're all created in the image of God. From the same mouth, blessings and cursings, and that's why James would say, my brothers, speaking to Christians, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or grapevines produce figs? It's to say that whatever is on the inside will be revealed on the outside. Don't try to pretend like you're somebody different on the outside than who you are on the inside. Be wholly surrendered to Christ on the inside as well. Neither can salt, a salt pond yield fresh water. It's interesting how he talks about all of these creatures being tamed. We had a very interesting experience of that a few months uh, after COVID had begun. And we discovered that there really was an alligator in the pond behind our house where we would walk with our dog, Chaco. Chaco loved to swim in that pond. I've told you guys of this story before. I thought it was so fascinating because uh, people have been talking about an alligator in that pond for a long time, and they just all sounded like a big mythical story. And we saw with our own eyes that there was an alligator out swimming in the pond while our dog Chaco was swimming in the pond, and we knew that wasn't a tenable situation. So we called Gator Country to come out. And one of the owners and his wife came out there in one of the most fascinating experiences I've ever seen. We videoed it. And he walks over there barefooted. I mean, they're called Gator Country for a reason. I mean... Shorts, I mean, I'm, when we called them, we were really thinking that they would come with heavy equipment, some kind of arsenal, something serious, you know? Pulls up in a truck, it's just a regular pickup truck, gets out, barefooted, shorts, cut off sleeves, walks down to the pond, 
with a fishing rod. Thinking, Betty, you didn't get the memo. It's an alligator. It is, we're not fishing for bass here. And he takes out this pronged apparatus on a fishing lure, and then he starts whistling this really unusual whistle. And all of a sudden, that alligator comes to the surface. He throws that line out there, hooks it on the back of the alligator's head, and just gradually starts bringing it in while whistling at the alligator. And the alligator just is swimming towards the shore. Gets to the shore. His wife has this noose-like thing, puts it around the alligator, pulls it tight, and then they pull him up on the shore. And that alligator, I mean, this is a six-foot alligator. It starts rolling like just crazy. That's what they do when they're trying to defend themselves. It's rolling like crazy. And this guy is just, I mean, fearless. He just watched that thing roll, 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 boom, jumps on it. Grabs his mouth. She pulls the duct tape out. Duct tape's always good to have. Wraps up the mouth. Pulls the legs together. Wraps them up. Back legs, wraps them up. He and his wife pick up that alligator, walk through the grass barefooted, up to the pickup truck. There's no cage. There's no, just put them in the back, cover the alligator up, and ask the question, what would you like for us to name the alligator? <laughs> We're thinking, well, the dog belongs to our kids, so let's go with the name Lacey. Lacey it is. You can go out to Gator Country today on I-10, just over 365, and you can see Lacey the alligator that almost ate Lacey the dog. That story reminds us of the power of humanity to tame things, but then James says, but you can't tame the tongue. Our tongue needs constant supervision. And Jesus is the word that can tame the words in our mouth. No one else can. It's amazing what we can do with our tongue. We can curse God, and many people do. But as Paul would write in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, with the tongue, you can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and experience eternal life. See, the tongue is pliable. Yes, it can be used for cursing, but it can also be used for expressing faith in Jesus Christ and have your eternity forever changed. So let me ask you a final question. What are you doing with your terribly accurate, powerful, dangerous, pliable tongue? Back to that couple from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Some of you are still trying to figure out how in the world did that tie in with what we're talking about. On that fateful night last October, when a car veered beside them and began to honk and yellow, yell at them and then follow them home. Joan, the woman who was riding, and her husband were driving home late at night after being on a very long trip, and they were just about eight miles from their home when the incident occurred. Her husband was driving while she was in the passenger seat sleeping. And then she was startled when a car pulled up beside them and began to honk and yell because they saw their car weaving and realized that her husband had fallen asleep behind the wheel. They were so startled by the experience that Joan and her husband pulled over to the side of the road, as did the younger couple, to make sure that they were all right. And being concerned for their well-being, they followed them home the last eight miles to make sure that they would be okay. It's a reminder of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. When I introduced that story at the beginning of the message, we thought, oh, what a horrible thing to do with your tongue. Proverbs says in 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can use it to do horrible things to people, or we can use it to save people's lives and even lead them to the salvation of eternal life. Just a month ago, September the 1st, Jehovah's Witness started doing something they hadn't done since March of 2020. They resumed going door to door. Because of COVID, they had taken a two and a half year hiatus from their very familiar practice. 
Robert Hendricks is the organization's national spokesman. Of them returning back to the neighborhoods, he said, we go to everyone and let them choose whether they want to hear or not. Evangelical theology doesn't mess with Kingdom Hall at all. But I think we can learn something from their perspective. We go to everyone and let them decide whether or not they will listen or not. Yesterday's reading, 1 Timothy 1.11, speaks of the glorious gospel. Those are the exact words, the glorious gospel. And as Christians, we have the privilege of embracing that gospel, yes, but we also have the privilege of sharing that gospel. And I want to share with all of you who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ, the glorious gospel is that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. But because of our sin, we will never be able to tame the, the, the tongue or enter into a relationship with God on our own. That's why Jesus came, to give us eternal life. Thankfully, Jesus can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, and fully surrender our life to him. So I would ask the question, if you're not yet a Christian, would you embrace this glorious gospel today? And if you are a Christian already, would you share this glorious gospel with someone else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to the core of who we are. Amazing that we turn to a book two millennia old and we find relevance more current than what we see in the headlines today. Lord, we recognize that the tame will never be tamed. The tongue will never be tamed by, by our own abilities or our own desires. It's only by fully surrendering our life to Christ. And Lord, we also recognize that this glorious gospel that is shared from one tongue to the other as we share the gospel, the preaching of it, the teaching of it, the witnessing of it. God, we pray that if anybody here or listening online has never received you as Lord and Savior, that they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Oh Lord, how we pray today that someone has embraced that glorious gospel. And now as so many of us are already followers of Christ, we've embraced that glorious gospel. Lord, would you light a fire deep inside of us to share that glorious gospel with others. Help us to realize that we will never find victory in life apart from you. Whether it's the taming of the tongue or any other aspect of our lives, you alone can give us victory. So help us to fully surrender to you. In your name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, the deacons, and I think we're a little bit off on our uh, October triad. We don't have quite enough guys to accommodate. So if you're a deacon and you just are close by, would you stand at one of these aisles back here, your deacon and your wife, and opportunity for us as a church family to just go to those that we trust and love and to pray with them. If there's something on your heart that you want uh, them to pray with you about, if you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you'd like more information about that, take this card back to the uh, communication center in the atrium after the service and we'll help you as you continue with uh, that decision to follow Christ. Likewise, if you want to become a member of this church, uh, meet us back at the Connection Center or at the cross in just a moment. I'll be standing there or to any one of these three deacon, uh, deacons and their wife back there. So let's stand together. Let's worship and respond as God would lead us. Wake my heart, God, I need you now. I can drown alone here in my doubt. Prone to wander from your side, getting tired of tired eyes. God, I'm coming here for you. 
consume my heart in an ending race. Grace erasing all my doubt and shame. Let forgiveness heal my soul, seal my heart, and don't let it go. God, I'm running back to you. great week. Pick up a um, Operation Christmas Child box on the way out. Sign up for all the events we've got going on.